Hello and welcome to the Indian Dream Podcast. This is going to be a slightly different intro. Bear with me. Before we talk about the topic of discussion today, which is extremely interesting, by the way, I want to talk about something else. The last few weeks of producing the episodes on the podcast have been tough. It takes hours to prepare, record, edit, and put out the content. And lately, I've started questioning if what we do even makes sense. What if we are just shouting in the abyss and no one really cares about the episodes? You know the classic existential questions. While looking at the numbers steadily grow keeps us going, but I'd love to talk to some of our listeners who love our content. I want to hear from you directly. Ping me on WhatsApp, DM me on Twitter, tell me what you like about the Indian Dream, tell me what you don't like about the Indian Dream. The effort you put into this is going to define what TID shapes up to be, or if not enough people care about it, it just ceases to exist. Help me with this existential crisis that we are having at the Indian Dream and share your thoughts, please. With that aside, let's talk about today's episode. The business of wine in India. Not going to lie, this was fun to research and record. So, Sula recently announced their plans for an IPO and put out a prospectus. Now, Sula is a 22-year-old company that does more than 450 crores in revenue. It's a brilliant read if you want to know more about how the industry has evolved, what the future could be, and what it takes to operate an alcohol business in India. And that got us curious to take a look at the overall wine industry in India and globally. We have a two-part episode coming your way. In part one, we discuss everything about the business of wine. And in part two, we look at the business that is Sula. We look at the numbers and understand the key strengths and weaknesses of that business. Before jumping onto the episode, here's a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pushowl. Pushowl is a web push marketing app built for e-commerce businesses. Trusted by more than 25,000 brands across the globe, Pushowl lets you turn one-time store visitors into subscribers, send highly visible push notifications and increase customer retention. Check them out at P-U-S-H-O-W-L.com. Okay, apologies for the long intro. Let's now talk about the wine industry in India. Yeah, so I'm going to start with uh, one of the lines from their DRHP. That's what it's called, right? Draft Herring, Draft Red Herring Prospectus. Why is it called that, by the way? Do you know? I have absolutely no idea. Okay, yeah. Which is, yeah, I've never, I've never thought about it until I, I said the word right now. Um, so... One of the things that, that Rajiv Samand or the report says is the wine industry in India is a post 2000 phenomenon, right? Like it didn't really exist before that. Um, so the entire industry has been built over the last two years and it's still a very, very small percentage of the global market. Um, you know, combined, the industry is about 1500 crores. So about $200 million or somewhere thereabouts. Uh, the thing with market size numbers, you know, India or global, whatever, different websites, different data houses have like different numbers, but 1500 crores seems like the 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 number that the industry has sort of uh, agreed upon. I think that is a more or less correct number because when you take Sula, when you take Fratelli, when you take Rovers and you add them up, they come up to around 1000, 1200 and then you can add some of the smaller players to that, right? So I think 1500 is the correct number. Exactly. So it's a $200 million market that's been built over the last two years, 20, over the last 20 years. And interestingly, three companies, Sula, Grover and Fratelli own 80% of this market, right? Uh, these are the oldest sort of uh, wineries also, and they own 80% of the market. There are companies like Ambi Wines, Big Banyan Wines, York Wines, Chrisma, Charosa. These are sort of upcoming vineyards. But one of the interesting things about this business is one, it's extremely capital intensive. And two, you can't hijack growth 
because it takes its own process to you know get the grape that you need to produce the wine produce the wine you know keep it in the barrel for a few years for the wine to age and then create that brand so for example one of the things that we discussed with the founder uh, of fritelli wines god of sacri is these guys started the business back in 2006 7 and for 3 years all they did was grow the grapes that you need to actually produce the wine and there is so much uncertainty even in that period where if the produce of grapes is not wine quality you're not going to be able to make the wine out of it thankfully they partnered with some italian you know experts and they got the produce right but without good grapes without wine quality grapes you can't really make wine um and one of the things that i was reading is most of the effort goes into figuring out what kind of grape you grow the processing of it is relatively easy to figure out right so the hardest part is growing those the right kind of grapes that can give you a good quality wine the processing you know i visited the grower facility in bangalore um it's you know a few machineries put together it's not that's not rocket science while there is a lot of innovation globally happening in in the wine making technology itself uh, but that's not rocket science the rocket science is how do you grow the right quality of grapes and you know what uh, what i want to add over here is that i was looking at the the structure of the organization of sula wines and everybody else so including the svp of sales in, including the cfo everybody else reports to the coo the chief operating officer while the chief winemaker reports directly to the ceo and managing director because um, they these guys uh, sula they know how important it is to have the wine making because that is the essence of the brand right have it um, looked at directly by the managing director so while everything else all of the business functions go to the coo the md looks directly at uh, wine making interesting yeah it, it, it's interesting also because i think one of the things that sula has gotten right is marketing so i'm surprised that the marketing is not reporting into uh, rajiv saman because i'm pretty sure he's had a huge role to play in how sula has been branded over the years and we're going to go deeper into their story as well but coming back to the wine market in india the fascinating thing is the entire wine market especially from a production perspective is concentrated in maharashtra and karnataka and even within those maharashtra is a significant leader i think maharashtra produces 90% of the grape wine grapes that that you know that are used to produce the wine um and then the rest of it is probably karnataka and the reason why this is the case is because of favorable policies so 2001 is when maharashtra came up with favorable policy around wine production so you know growing the grapes and giving them subsidies and giving them tax breaks and what not i'm not going to go into too much detail but it was favorable policy for wine makers to say okay this makes sense let's grow the grapes here and then karnataka followed suit in 2007 and since then i think there have some, there have been some states who have who have expressed the opinion that they want to sort of help these wine makers and they want to come up with favorable policy but nothing really has been executed well everybody is being greedy about collecting excise from these you know the grape growers they want to you know get the grape growing the wine grape growing outside the agricultural subsidy so there's a lot of uh, policy making that's impacted this business maharashtra and karnataka lead the way even in consumption maharashtra and karnataka lead the way uh, i don't know the exact percentage but they are the majority um when it comes to consumption west is definitely the majority and obviously west is probably maharashtra not gujarat um <laughs> and, and um and then there's north um, ncr and the nearby sort of you know cosmopolitan areas which which consume a lot of wine uh, but primarily dominated in maharashtra and karnataka 
I just want to add a little bit more on what you were saying about the government subsidies, right? So uh, in the prospectus, it's called the government grants. And you might think like okay, government grants, is it can't be that much. But Sula in FY22 got 70 crores worth of government grants. Now, 450 crores is their revenue, 70 crores of government grants. That's about 17, 18% of their revenue they're getting in terms of grants. That's a lot that can make you take you from profitable to unprofitable if it goes away, right? And so it makes complete sense why they are working in Maharashtra. Um, And like you said, Karnataka is also a significant spot because of what they call the wine um, incentive, I think. Um, Sorry, it's called the wine incentive promotion subsidy. And 70 crores is not a small number. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, there, it's not like other states in in the country can't produce the quality of grapes that are needed to produce the wine. In fact, Tamil Nadu, Himachal Pradesh, Jammu and Kashmir are all good locations where you can produce, even Madhya Pradesh for that matter. There's a company called Ambi Wines that's coming up uh, from, you know, there's this village called Titri uh, or Titari and they're growing the grapes there. Obviously, as I said, it takes a long time to get your brand up and ready in the wine market. One of the things that I do want to point out why it's a fairly concentrated market with the top three accounting for 80% of the market is other than the fact that it is extremely capital intensive, the land holding that you need, that needs to be somewhere within the family or somewhere in your partners, right? Uh, For example, with Fratelli, they had partnered with the family who owned a lot of land in the Nasik area, which is also where their vineyards are um, or somewhere in Maharashtra, if I'm not wrong. Um, for Sula, I think the land existed within the family. So they already had a large chunk of land within the family. Uh, I don't know about uh, Grover and they are a much older business as well. But most of the people need a significant land holding somewhere within their partnership or family. Other than, uh, otherwise, you have to spend a lot more money to actually grow, uh, to actually acquire the land and grow it. And it's not yes. like you can outsource this part, right? This is the hardest part in winemaking because... If somebody is going to be doing the grape production, if somebody is going to be, you know, getting the grapes right, they might as well say, I will invest in the processing and I will launch my own brand because that's where the margins are rather than saying that, hey, I'm going to outsource this part of growing and then just processing it. I think that's a model that might not work, which works in most consumer categories, by the way, especially commodity plays. You can make the out, you can, you can outsource the manufacturing and build a brand. Um, on top of that, I don't think that's possible in in the wine industry. I just want to put a few numbers to what you were saying about the land, right? People might be like, hi, I have 10 acres, I have 20 acres, I can start wine production. How many acres does Sula have? Sula has 2,600 acres. Grover has 410 acres and Fratelli Wines has 240 acres. So this is not some like just random chota mota wine production, right? It's hundreds thousands of acres of land that you need to get to the kind of scale that these guys are at um so yeah you need to have some kind of family land or you need to partner with somebody who has that land absolutely one of the things that i noticed when i was comparing the indian wine market to the global wine market is globally obviously europe is the highest sort of consumer combined europe is the highest consumer of wine france italy portugal per capita wise portugal is you know far ahead than any other country um single country basis usa consumes the most amount of wine i think 33 million hectoliters i didn't even know this was a term uh, but that's that's the amount of wine that they consume but it's been stagnant or dropping for the last decade or so across all these countries. But in countries like China, in countries like Brazil, in countries like India, 
the wine consumption is significantly increasing. Between early 2010s and mid 2010s, the Chinese market consumption grew double digits, you know, 16%, 18% year on year. Um, and even the Brazil market right now is growing at 13%, right? Even in the Indian market uh, from the from the prospectus is, is a double digit growth that they are projecting for the next few years. That's obviously because the base was extremely small. The Chinese market though, as prosperity has happened, and that's a good way to understand if the Indian market could follow along the same lines, as prosperity has happened, as the poor capita income has increased, as urbanization has happened, the Chinese market has exploded. It is today, it is today a $25 billion market. Another interesting point about Chinese data in general is depending on different websites that you go to, you will get all kinds of data, right? I've seen numbers from 7 billion all the way to 73 billion. Again, 25 comes from a few sources that I that I think are believable. Uh, but even, even Forbes for that matter says, hey, China numbers are always, you know, uh, uncertain. So, uh, but it's a, it's a significantly larger industry. Even, you know, the per capita consumption is 1.56 liters of wine compared to India, where it's 25 milliliters per capita consumption. So if we follow the same path, which is we figure out how to increase the per capita income, the urbanization is already happening. Wine has always been positioned as that aspirational thing. It's that classy thing to do. Um, you're already seeing it in the upper strata of society in India. The wine consumption has significantly increased. Even if you look at data of you know the, the growth in the wine segments, the premium wine segments have been growing the most. Uh, the thousand dollar bottles, thousand rupee bottle wines, the twelve hundred rupee bottle of wines, those are the categories that are growing the most. So the aspiration levels have always been attached to wine. Those are the segments that are growing. If the per capita increases, if the wine players are successful in marketing and in keeping it the aspirational sort of uh, reach for wine, I think this could this market could explode. This, that led me to thinking, why hasn't the market exploded already? Whatever said and done, a two hundred million dollar market is not that large a market right? Um, it is something to do with a chicken and egg problem where the demand has been growing what it's been growing because marketing is not very easy in this industry. Uh, we were talking to the founder of Fratelli about this. Uh, we will link that episode in the show notes, by the way, if anybody wants to go hear about their journey. Uh, but one of the things that, that he was speaking about is direct marketing is not possible. So you can't just run ads. You can't just, you know, hire a celebrity who runs ads and stuff like that uh, or hire a celebrity and run ads bases their you know brand value and and create that market for wine you have to do very subtle things you have to do very unscalable things for example what fratelli did was a lot of you know private dinners with the elites you know doing different kinds of deli uh, different kinds of dinners uh, you know inviting chefs and inviting winemakers and creating events out of that uh, then there was some marketing happening through uh, subtle sort of advertising in movies and you know different types of content where people were drinking wine and stuff like that so it's a slow process to grow that market and sula is doing sula fest yeah um, which interesting enough in their pnl they have one line item that says sula fest but anyways we'll, we'll talk about those numbers as well later uh, one of the things that Sula has gotten right, which I got from the Morning Context article that I'm going to link in the show notes, is they are the exclusive marketing partners or, you know, the wine sponsors for the Jaipur Lit Fest, um, which is interesting because Jaipur Lit Fest, obviously, Jaipur Literature Festival, obviously gets a lot of audience from outside of India and even the elites within India. Uh, by having exclusive rights to supply wine there, they're able to brand it and, you know, create that positioning for their product. Um, Sula has gotten marketing right for sure. We're going to, you know, touch base on, on what they've done. 
but a few other things that I wanted to note in terms of uh, what's happening globally. Europe has been a very stable uh, wine drinker for the last five, seven years. It increases some years, it decreases a few uh, a few of those years. Same with US. While they are the largest consumers, they've been fairly stagnant. South America is growing nicely. Argentina, even with all their economic troubles, is growing the market at 7-8% year on year. Brazil is growing at 18%. Um, China, we've spoken about already. And one of the things that I do want to mention about China is... 50% of their wine sales come through e-commerce and selling alcohol in India on e-commerce is not legal. Some states have some flexible policies where you can do home deliveries and stuff, but at a national level, it is not something that's permitted. Uh, hopefully that opens up these guys, you know, lobby and make that open up because I do think that will have a significant impact in uh, the market opening up, uh, market growing. The only thing that's legal is that you have to call your wine shop and be like, ha bhaiya, mujhe paach sula chahiye. That's legal somehow. Yeah. And uh, e-commerce yeah. is not legal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the jugaad of India. Well, I, I think we briefly spoke about it when we were talking about the alcohol delivery segment on the Munchies episode. But this is a fantastic scam that happens in Gurgaon, which is people have gone on to Google uh, put their phone numbers in the, you know, the the famous wine shops, Lake Forest, whatever. So they've ins- inserted their phone numbers because Lake Forest obviously doesn't care about their Google listing. They've claimed the listing, they've put their phone numbers. And when people will call that nearby wine shop, somebody's going to answer and say, hey, sure, I will deliver it Paytm to this number. You Paytm the money and the phone is is dead after that. So you've lost the money. Uh, Same is, thing happens in Bombay. It's, which it's is a, a very interesting everywhere. scam. One of the interesting things to project how the wine market in India could grow is look at the percentage consumption of wine compared to the other kinds of alcohol and see where India stands. So if you look at China, 3% of the overall consumption of alcohol is wines. In terms of liters, 3% is wine. If you look at Brazil, that's 2.3%, right? If you look at the you know more uh, mature markets like US and Europe, it goes beyond 17, 20, 25% in some cases. But obviously their bases are much smaller. Europe has an obsession with wine. Uh, they have this colonial hangover also, by the way, when it comes to wine, because they call Australia and Chinese wines are as new wines, new country wines. Uh, they don't even categorize it in the same way because they've we've, Australia, China, India haven't grown it traditionally. Uh, but you know, they are much higher than 20%. India today stands at 0.4%, right? So there is a lot of headroom for growth, even if the alcohol market remains the same. Uh, wine consumption probably should grow given the other trends in other countries. Obviously, it could differ. It could, you know, it could pan out a completely different way or it could land up somewhere in the middle. Uh, but that gives you some sort of angle on where the market could potentially lead to. What I'm going to do now is very quickly set up the context and history of Sula and then Sahil is going to go do the deep dive on what kind of business it is based the based on the financial numbers that they've provided. So Sula is a company that's set up in 1998. Uh, Rajiv Saman came back from the US, uh, Stanford grad, worked there, came up with the idea of setting up a wine brand given the Napa Valley culture that he had seen. By the way, California dominates the wine production in the US. It is Napa Valley that is by far the leader of wine producer in the US. I think it's something like 70-90% as well. It's like the Maharashtra of the US. Exactly, right? So <laughs> uh, they and their production has been going down globally. Like in the last decade, the US wine production has actually been going down. Napa is the only region that has sustained. 
so looking being at the being in that region which is very close to stanford i think there was some inspiration that he came back and used that to actually uh, set up sula wines one of the interesting things that i've noticed and this is also um, something that's happened across different alcohol markets or could be probably be said about highly regulated markets is the second player generally has a lot more benefit the second mover advantage in highly regulated industries is actually pretty interesting right we everybody speaks about the first mover advantage where you can you know create a new market create a moat and you can be a market leader but in highly regulated industry what the first mover has to do is work with the government to create favorable regulations which is a nightmare in itself right because these could take years we've seen that in the drone market we've seen that where you know the early drone players had to work with the government spend 5 6 years to come up with favorable policy but a new entrant who comes in today or came in the last year or so obviously has the policy to start focusing on directly on building a profitable business yeah. that's what i had here that we recorded a full episode with vipul singh from arav unmanned systems all about the drone industry and all about what they did in order to change the government regulations for drones so if anybody is interested in this part of their discussion that they're having that i think in about another week after this episode releases we should be releasing the episode with vipul as well it's yeah. all about how they got the government to change the regulations very fascinating discussion exactly right and uh, he is one of the founding members of the drone federation of india um that's that's what you know it tells you that you have to create these associations you have to uh, lobby the government and you have to create favorable policies but the second player obviously comes in and can only focus on the product uh what happens with working with the government for so many years is you could burn out before the industry actually truly opens up uh, for example there was this company called chateau indage which was the wine market leader in india since the 1980s they came up 18 20 years before sula came about 2001 they were the market leaders 2007 they went bust because of the financial crisis uh, they had raised you know the money and and financing sort of uh, didn't fall in place and they they went bust uh, same thing happened not the same thing but another interesting you know uh, analogy of the same second mover advantage is gateway brewing company in bombay were the pioneers of getting the favorable policy for brewing micro brewing in bombay right based on the work that they did they are there are significantly more successful micro brewers that are out there there have been able to take their beer pan india right so this whole thing about highly regulated markets it might make more sense to be a second mover than be a first mover is is interesting to me um so they they came into the market in 2001 and since then they have grown steadily sula has been very focused on doing the right kind of marketing doing you know the the festivals you know creating the resort property working with celebrities who come to their resort properties and using that to create the market for wines and as the the founder of fratelli was saying you know doing all these events and you know uh, sponsoring the lit fest so it's been a slow painful process to build what the market has been today 450 crores for a 20 year old company in this day and age when we look at you know venture capital backed companies that can go to 100 200 crores in revenue in 5 8 10 years seems like a long process but they've done it right they've done it in a way which is sustainable they've done it in a way which is now profitable um 